Welcome to the Touchdown Wire Week 10 Preview Podcast with Doug Farrar and Mark Schofield. I'm Doug Farrar, NFL Editor for the USA Today Sports Media Group. This week, Mark Schofield and I dive into why Ryan Tannehill could have trouble against the Colts defense, how the Browns are about to get a big offensive uptick, why the Giants are interesting all of a sudden, how the Buccaneers have lost their identity on both sides of the ball, how the Bills can use last week's defensive game plan against Russell Wilson once again against Kyler Murray, and why we're absolutely positively convinced that John Gruden is listening to our podcast. We've got a lot to cover, so let's get rolling. It's the Touchdown Wire Week 10 Preview Podcast with Doug Farrar and Mark Schofield. Welcome, 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 everyone, to the Touchdown Wire Week 10 Preview Podcast with Doug Farrar and Mark Schofield. I am Doug Farrar. Mark Schofield is uh, on the other side of the country. Seattle to Maryland. This internet thing is amazing. We just love it. What's up, Mark? I'm, I'm doing well, Doug. Um, we are getting ready for week 10. I can't believe how fast this season is going already. Um, and we get a good one tonight. I'm excited for this one. Very good one. Titans at Colts. And I want to start with Ryan Tannehill against Chicago's defense because, it, and I've said this before, we've discussed this on the podcast, we always talk about the Bears and the quarterback disaster. But that defense is playing really well, and especially against the Titans last Sunday. Uh, Jalen Johnson made my secret superstars. Kyle Fuller playing really well. Bears are a very fundamentally sound, very defensively intelligent team. Um, no surprise, you know, running that show. So Tannehill, 10 of 21 for 158 yards, two, two touchdowns, no picks. I maintain, Dr. Schofield, that Tannehill could have had four or five picks. He had a lot of deflections is what he had. And... Um, this Colts defense presents a lot of the same or a lot of similar challenges, which is, you know, fairly static fronts. They'll mix some stuff up, but it's really interesting zone. It's a lot of early movement into late other movement. And with Derrick Henry kind of, I guess we could say underperforming at this point. Um, I know our, our friend Greg Cosell has made the point and it's something he heard from Bill Walsh a long time ago that, the best offenses, your running game and your passing game have to be independent of each other on a week-to-week basis, which I thought was really smart. I don't know if the Titans' passing game can operate independently of its run game at this point. Yeah, I don't know if it can either. It can be just so much of what they do is predicated on play action, and I know that you don't need to have a successful running game to be successful on play action because it's all about eye angles and eye candy for linebackers. But they've struggled in that area so far. And so, you know, can Tannehill just be a drop back and throw a type of guy? I don't think he can. You know, he struggled in that. You know, what's going to be interesting, I think, in this game is we know the Colts are a cover two heavy team. Matt Bowen tweeted out 32.2% of their snaps this year, cover two, uh, most in the league. You know, so there are opportunities to make throws in the middle of the field. You know, I'm looking for them to try to get A.J. Brown involved. I'm looking for them to try to get the tight ends involved on seam routes. Um, But the question will be, can they get enough off of play action where the running game and the pass game start to sort of work in concert together? Because it's a problem right now for them. Well, I I watched Jalen Johnson specifically a lot this last week and just the Bears defense overall. I mean, Johnson's had a couple of rough games. Um, I thought he was a first-round talent. I watched tape with him in April. Uh, Very smart kid. Knows how to bring film study to the field. 
And I kind of had a feeling, as much as we talked about Arthur Smith, their offensive coordinator, as a brilliant guy, which I think he is, it seemed to me like the Bears kind of saw what was coming. And that is an overstated thing. I know Lamar Jackson has said that, you know, defenses are calling out. That happens a lot. Yeah. Uh, what I mean in a larger sense is I don't know without play action if Tennessee's passing offense is as versatile and attack-minded as it can be when you have a guy like A.J. Brown who, you know, still put up good numbers, but they, they kind of, I wouldn't say they locked him down, but it seemed like the Bears understood what patterns were coming and were able to lock them down pretty quickly. And if you think the Bears can do that, well, I'll tell you what, Matt Eberflus and that Colts defense, they're going to do the same thing. Yeah, and what's interesting is last year, Tanner was so successful on play action. This year, you know, his NFL passer rated on play action throws is just – 108.3, and I know that sounds like a big number. That's middle of the pack. Last year, he was top one, top two on play action designs. And so you are seeing, you know, they're not as successful on play action. And with respect to A.J. Brown, you know, he had the vertical route touchdown. Two of his other plays were just good individual effort plays from him. You had a missed tackle. You had yardage after the catch. They were covering him well. And so when now you think about the Indianapolis Colts and that secondary, you know, they're going to be, I think, in a better position to sort of limit what he can do. So this might end up being a can Derrick Henry win on a Thursday night game kind of type of night, which we've seen him do before. Well, that Colts front, too, with uh, with Autry, who is one of the more underrated defensive, interior defensive linemen in the league, certainly DeForest Buckner. Um, kind of a problem with you're, you're without both your tackles. And, you know, Henry... Henry has popped some big runs, but he's also popped a lot of negative plays, uh, stops. You know, they're, they're, it's a heavy stop offense right now, and that's a problem. I guess the only good thing, the only good news for the Titans here is they're facing a quarterback in Phillip Rivers who, I guess but the question I put on my notes, is there any reason the Colts shouldn't go back to Jacoby Brissett at this point because Brissett is probably a better tackler? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's a reason to make that switch, but I do think we've talked about Rivers in the past couple of weeks. You know, there are limitations to what he can do right now as a quarterback. I mean, I think his best game recently was against Detroit, which, well, that kind of speaks for itself. It doesn't really count. Um, you know, I think, look, Indianapolis was in a good position at the start of that game, and then you had the fumble, and it you know became a meme with that tackle attempt by Rivers. But if you can take away what they want to do underneath, you can pretty much limit what they can do in the passing game. And I think, you know, Tennessee will be able to do that, you know, take away what they did. I think the Desmond Kinn acquisition might have been made with this game in mind, you know, because you look at, you know, what he can do underneath, what he can do in the slot, you know, taking away those quick throws, force Rivers to push the ball downfield, which is something I don't think we can, I don't think we think he can do right now. Well, one of the reasons I would maintain the Titans traded for Desmond King, and I mentioned this on last week's podcast, uh, he's King is a really good slot defender. Titans uh, before through week eight had allowed five touchdowns with no interceptions from the slot. They're not as bad from the slot as like Seattle, but they're pretty bad. And one other thing I want to mention here, uh, King's fumble recovery touchdown was predicated on the activities of one Jeffrey Simmons, who right now, wow. Um, this guy is a freak. And if you want to, if you're into, (laughs) you know, if you believe that the game is built from the line out, 
Anytime you get to see Quentin Nelson take reps against Jeffrey Simmons, that w- that would be a time to put on your 3D glasses because that's going to be a. I don't want to say war, but you know what I mean. Right. Be special. Yeah, and this is one of those games where I think you keep your eye in the trenches more than anything else. Yeah. Uh, Texans at Browns. Browns are getting Wyatt Teller back, one of our favorite guys, the right guard, who uh, and we talked about the numbers with and without Teller. It's just it's spectacular how well he's been playing. has been out for a few weeks. I'll say it again, and the Zach Martin people can come after me. Best right guard in football this year, um, in it, with his presence and in his absence. Uh, Nick Chubb, Kevin Stefanski said he's on pace. They'll know his status on Friday. We're taping this Thursday morning. So we talked last, you know, Chubb is a top three back in my opinion. And you got the Texans who are allowing 5.1 rushing yards per attempt this season. Only the Bengals are worse. I mean, I don't know how much further you want to go beyond that. No, I mean, the Texans are a bad defense and they can't stop the run. And if Nick Chubb is back, that's going to be a problem for them. Um, You know, I I think the thing I'm most interested to see, Deshaun Watson. Um, People need to be talking about him more. Um, The Texans PR staff on Sunday afternoon, because the Texans PR staff was very good at what they do. Yeah, well, the Texans PR staff, I want to mention this, by the way. I want to break in here because this is bull crap. Yeah, Texans PR staff was good at what they did. Amy Palkik, who I've dealt with, I've had access to the Texans media department for a long time. I just want to say this right now. To call her not a cultural fit in that organization, and I know other people have said things to this effect, if Amy Palkik is not a fit in your culture, your culture sucks. And I'm just going to leave it at that. That was a, that was a, I'm, yeah, this is a family show. Is a bullcrap decision, and the Texans should be ashamed of themselves. So, it really was. And an example of how good they were and what they d- did was Sunday night. They pointed out immediately on Twitter that Watson joined Aaron Rodgers, Drew Brees, Steve Young, and Peyton Manning as the only five players with at least 275 passing yards and a passer rating of 105 in five consecutive games in NFL history. Is that pretty good? I think that's pretty good. That's a lead company. And Watson has played extremely well over this past five-game stretch, Um, ever since really they fired Bill O'Brien, which sort of makes you kind of wonder. Um, He's played so well. I'm very excited to see if this sort of continues. And I think people need to start talking about saving Deshaun Watson. Like, can we get, like, a federal bailout or something? Because you've got to get this guy some help. Yeah. Uh, Browns, I mean, Miles Garrett is uh, playing out of his mind right now. Uh, heavy quarters team, they throw some interesting stuff at you. Will Fuller also has been playing extremely well. I, uh, I'm sure the Packers are like, man. Right. But um, what, what have you seen? Just I mean, Dig a little deeper into what their passing game is like right now because obviously we all talk about the Texans as a dumpster fire, and it's clear that in the front office they are. But certainly, and the defense is not play. I mean, oh my God, that Jake Luton game, the, the, the long touchdown to DJ Chark. I'm still trying to figure out on the defensive right side of the field, what coverage were you playing? And we'll get into that in a minute. Yeah. But um, just from, from what you see, and I know you really have been eyeing Watson all year. What is Houston's passing game doing well? And what can they do well against the Browns specifically where they'll play a little man match, but it's, you know, they like to, I don't want to say back their guys off, but it's, it's pretty heavy quarters at this point. 
Yeah, and what the Texans have done a lot, they did this some with Bill O'Brien, they're doing it more now, is they're really sort of putting the ball into Sean Watson's hands. They're doing a lot of empty stuff, similar to what we're seeing in Cincinnati with Joe Burrow, where you know they're spreading the field out, they're trying to get the ball out of his hands quickly. And then, of course, they're doing some other stuff out of condensed formations with play-action designs. His throw to Brandon Cooks on that crossing route, working right to left against Jacksonville, one of the best throws I've seen a quarterback make in a long time. And they're really sort of catering to what he does well. You know, when they had Bill O'Brien, it was a lot of, you know, they're trying to force option stuff, force, you know, play action designs that weren't really there. A lot of similar route concepts. They're really sort of changing things up right now and letting Deshaun Watson just read the field. And the other thing that Watson did well in this game against Jacksonville was stand in the pocket when he saw pressure. There were a lot of times where they brought blitzes. And he didn't bail, didn't vacate clean pockets, simply reset his feet, found space as a passer, and made throws downfield. And it's been a joy to watch. Catering to what your quarterback does well. Yeah. Novel. I've heard of that before. Yeah. I, I've heard that sometimes it works. Sometimes it does. Yeah. Um, Washington at Lions. And one of my favorite players, Antonio Gibson, might have a banner day against Matt Patricia's novel 10 men on the field defense. Certainly worked with Alvin Cook. Good Lord, what a mess. We're still getting maced in man coverage. Gave up six of eight for 120 yards and a touchdown against, you'll pardon the expression, Kirk Cousins. Alex Smith had a very bad day against the Giants' coverage switches. And I want to talk a lot about the Giants today because they're doing some cool stuff. But no problem for Alex here. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up, Matt, uh, Chris Burke, my old SI buddy, uh, we worked together at Sports Illustrated a long time ago. He, re- I don't know if you've seen this article, it just came out this morning. Uh, Chris brought up that Matthew Stafford is missing a lot of deep shots downfield. Is that something you've seen as well? And, and what, if so, what do you think might be the cause of that? It's something I have seen. It is something I'm starting to wonder if there's an injury problem yet again. Because um, he's had two success, successive seasons with a back injury, and it seems like upper body rotation and release point are off right now. And whenever I see that, especially with a quarterback with a back injury history, that's where my mind goes first. Um, I, I think, you know, when you look at the comeback against the Atlanta Falcons, for example, you know, he was hitting on those throws, and the body rotation seemed okay. But in the weeks since, it's been off. And so that's that's what I have in mind. I don't know if there's any truth to that, um, but just from studying quarterbacks and seeing Stafford from a mechanical and structural standpoint, that's what I think is going on. Because, I mean, it, it, it's kind of irrelevant this year. They're not going to go anywhere until they get a new coach and a new defensive coordinator. Um, but, you know, that that – one of the greatest arm talents of our era here. Um, that's that's a bit disconcerting. Yeah, that, I mean, that's kind of scary. If a, a healthy Matthew Stafford, how many teams would say no to acquiring him right now? Oh, uh, all but around five. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's how talented he is. And so, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful that I'm wrong. And this is one of those moments where I hope I'm just dead wrong and there's something else going on. Because if it's three straight years with a back problem, then you get to be really nervous. Uh, so Jaguars at Packers, Jake Luton in his uh, NFL debut got to use the driver on a short par four against the Texans defense. Now he's got the Packers defense, which is the three wood off a of, you know, medium sized par three, uh, which is to say master's week. So I've kind of got going. Exactly. Yeah, it's master's week. Um, yeah, it, it's, it, I mean, the Packers, it's not easy per se, but it's not, you know, it's not hard. So what did you see from Jake Luton? And, and again, uh, I, DJ Chark made Secret Superstars this week, so I watched a lot of him specifically 
and also Luton. And there, there were busted coverages all over the place. Uh, yeah. Houston's defense is a major problem, uh, like a major problem. So Brown, Browns could light it up. But what did you see from Luton? Because we go back to the idea of, yeah, if you're playing a crappy defense, you still have to isolate the quarterback, and you're a quarterback isolation guy. What did you see from Luton? And, I mean, is he is he Mike Glennon plus, or is he actually good, or kind of where are you at with him? I think it's more Mike Glennon plus. I mean, I look at, you know, what he did, the reads, the throws, the decisions. There's certainly enough to consider him a long-term spot starter, long-term backup type guy. So he's like a B plus or an A minus. He's not like a guy. Yeah, I mean, he's not like a guy that I don't think Jacksonville is looking at him right now and thinking we can pass on Trevor Lawrence if he falls into our lap at the draft. No, I mean, that I don't think he's changing their sort of long-term plans at the position. You know, he had some good throws. He showed some athleticism. These were things that you saw in him coming out of Oregon State. I remember, you know, doing last year's draft evaluation on quarterbacks and when there was the idea that Jake Fromm was going to rise into, say, the third rounder. So I was thinking – if it's Jake Fromm or Jake Luton in the fifth round, I'm taking Jake Luton in the fifth round. I think there's more to work with with him. There were people um, that said that? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, look, there, there, there was there was late first-round buzz on Jake Fromm at one point. Which oh, my is, God, I remember. I, I think it was the trauma of it that made me want to forget. But, look, yeah, I, that's true. I know. Like uh, Nate Peterman, Davis Webb, like <sighs> – Get pushed up boards. You're going to see in this upcoming cycle with Sam Ellinger, the kid from Texas. I'm, yeah, who are the like short, white, arm limited quarterbacks who are going to be like their fifth round talent, but they're going to be first round guys in, yeah. in, in the minds of analysts? Because, yeah. It happens every year. And I try to caution people and warn people, but it happens every year. Um, you know, I think from this game, though, the problem becomes, you know, DJ Chark, you put Jair Alexander on him. You're going to force Jake Luton to go elsewhere with the football, and that's going to be a problem, you know. And I, I think we'll get a better sense of what Jake Luton is as a quarterback this week. I mean, I don't know. I mean, this might be a James Robinson game, Doug. I was just going to say, because Green Bay's run defense is, it, you know, as we've said, you double Kenny Clark, you single everyone else, and then you run the ball. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's probably what they're going to do. I mean, have you watched a lot of Robinson? And if so, what do you think of him? Because I'm – starting to buy in. I like him a ton. Uh, I think he's really effective in the passing game. Uh, and again, this is a guy who was undrafted. Uh, yeah. Just no one thought really anything of him. And I know there are people, I've known people in the Jaguars organization for a long time, very high up, and they pride themselves on picking the low round and undrafted guys. That's a real specialty of theirs. And, you know, really good in the passing game. Uh, nice, yeah, and not just you know screens and little stops or whatever. He can he can run a decent route tree. Um, he's not a huge guy. He's not Derrick Henry, but he's a good power runner. He's elusive. He's decisive through the gap, yeah. Um, to and through the hole. I think he is now. If, I don't I don't know what foundation running back means anymore, but in today's NFL, if a foundation running back is a guy who gets twenty to twenty five carries a game. And you, you split those carries, you know, split the touches up, I should say. Uh, 20 to 25 touches a game, you split those touches up however you like, depending on the opponent. I think he can be that guy. I don't really see any real holes in his game. Um, I, I think he's kind of – I think he's been 
People asked me about LSU's offense last year, and I would say that obviously Burrow, obviously Chase, obviously Jefferson, but the guy who was the glue in that offense was Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And I would say that the glue in Jacksonville's offense, such as it is, is Robinson right now. He's the guy that's kind of holding that together. It's been it. He's made secret superstars twice. He could have made it four or five times. He's just he's blowing up. He's great. Cool. Yeah, he's he's really something. Um, Eagles at Giants. We got a lot to cover here. Um, <laughs> I want to start with Brett Favre saying that the Eagles should have held on to Nick Foles instead of extending Carson Wentz. No. Okay, we can move on. Yeah. Uh, you got anything to say about that besides no? Because I don't. Uh, I, I just I love seeing Eagles Twitter eat themselves over Red Favre, Doug Peterson, Carson Wentz. I mean, they're coming off of a bye week. They've had a lot of time to sort of ruminate on the Carson Wentz situation here, and they are starting to – panic i would say about this entire carson wentz deal well you know what i've watched a lot of wentz tape over the last two weeks and i'll say i'm going to say this empirically i don't think there is a starting quarterback in the nfl right now and i know offensive line is a problem receivers are a problem i get it i don't think there's a quarterback in the nfl right now i'm putting this on the record not a quarterback in the NFL right now playing worse than Carson Wentz on a down-to-down basis. I think right now, he's not the worst quarterback in the NFL, but he's playing like it. Yeah, he's and I, I just, I, I, you know, I, that's a bold statement to make, but if you watch every snap of four games like I did, I, I just, he's busting the pocket way too quickly. He is... What is what is the word past frenetic in the pocket? He right. his decision making is abysmal. It's never been this bad. It wasn't this bad at North Dakota State. No, he's not. he's he's busted. He's, he's just comfortable. He's got, he's got the physical tool. This isn't Jared Goff. I mean, he's from a physical tools perspective. Carson Wentz is a top ten quarterback, maybe top five. But and it could be the accumulation of no receivers consistently for the past couple of years, certainly accumulated pressure. And there are a couple of quarterbacks we can talk about this week regarding that. But I, I have been astonished, really astonished. He's playing like a third stringer. It's that bad. Yeah. It's, it's not good. He's schizophrenic in a sense. He's trying to balance a conservative quarterback who doesn't make mistakes with the aggressive gunslinger. And the result is just a mismatch of poor quarterback play. He's not comfortable. He's not reading the field right. He's not trusting his eyes. He's not trusting his feet and his mechanics. Like, it's a downhill rolling snowball of badness that's become an avalanche at this point. And there's not just one silver bullet thing to fix. It's just a no. bad problem. You, you would hope during the bye that they would have – you know, gone through certain things and said, okay, you know, trust your eyes, trust your line, um, slow the clock in your head way down because I, I don't have the PFF stats in front of me. I would imagine most of his throws are under two seconds in the pocket, if that. He's just, he's, we were, we were talking about Baker Mayfield earlier this year where he's just, you know, frenetic and bailing and he kind of calmed himself down, started playing better. Um, the, the attendant problem with Wentz is not only is he bailing the pocket, but when he does bail, it, I mean, he's making decisions and throws based on those decisions that like you or I would make. Right. It, it, it's just, and the, you know, from a mental standpoint, 
that hasn't happened before. So that's, that's kind of my concern with Wentz is, you know, I don't, I don't know how you flip that in a week. No, I don't know how you flip it in two weeks with a buy. I don't know how you fix it in midseason when you have so much other stuff that you need to do. And it's going to be a problem this week. Oh, yes. Giants defense, and I know you want to talk about, but I'm just teeing it up here. It's going to be a problem for them this week. Uh, if you go to Giants.com, go to the video section, uh, Joe Judge, their head coach, breaks down about halfway through this like 13-minute video, talks about special teams and whatnot. And then he breaks down Alex Smith's third interception, which was kind of an inverted Tampa two, where Logan Ryan was playing deep and then came down as the low hole defender, and Jabril Peppers came out. I mean, they're doing so much cool stuff with inversion, what I would call inversion switches, uh, pre and post snap, just diabolical stuff. They did a really nice job on that. Um, yeah, and with, you know, to ha- to tell Wentz to trust his eyes, which he doesn't right now, and then have to face that stuff, which they're doing all over the place. And I know um, if you want to re- – because you've done some study on the Giants' front, so maybe attach that to what I talked about with their coverages because their front – their fronts are also extremely multiple. Yeah, I mean, they, they've used a lot – of defensive packages this year, a lot of sub packages, a lot of, you know, one, you know, one, three, seven type packages where, you know, they'll use that radar front where you've got one down lineman and everybody else is in a two point stance and you're trying to figure out where they're coming from. And the problem that arises there is sometimes the offensive line and the quarterback aren't on the same page as to who's coming and who's dropping. And then you, you sometimes will, they'll just rush one or two guys and drop everybody else into throwing lanes. And when you have a quarterback that's unsure of what he's seen to begin with, and you add that on top of it, and then when you do sort of a one three seven alignment with a radar front and you show an inverted cover two, you rotation the snap, good luck figuring that out. You know, good luck figuring that out if you're playing well. Now try doing it when you're playing poorly. Like, this seems like a trap. I don't, I don't know if a trap-type game is the best way to describe it, but this seems like a huge landmine for Philadelphia. Well, the other thing, and it, it does go against Philadelphia's front, which is probably the one part of that team that's playing very well week-to-week right now. Uh, Giants, over the last two games, it's been really, you know, a lot of just straight gap runs, power, counter, trap. They're running sweeps like... Vince Lombardi is smiling from heaven. Right. Uh, former Giants offensive coordinator before he was the Packers head coach back in the late 50s. Um, yeah, uh, was it Jim? Uh, can you remember the guy's name? The head coach of the Giants in the late 50s when he had Lombardi as his offensive coordinator and Tom Landry as, as his defensive coordinator. And uh, that guy was just like, Ma, I'm here to make the hot drinks hot and the cool drinks cool. Anyway, um, Giants really doing well with sweeps. Um, I think, you know, and, and you mentioned it last week, and I agree, Jason Garrett, for all the, you know, clapping gifts we throw at him, and, you know, he's, he, he's not considered a, a top five offensive mind. He's been calling I – mean, I, somebody on Twitter, I was t- tweeting something about the Giants earlier this week, and, and someone I respect said, you know, the Giants are a good quarterback away from being over 500. I'm not sure I disagree with that right now. No, I, I need to have everything else in place, and then you just got to deal with you know Daniel Jones and here's a question. his variants. Which of those two teams in New York City or New Jersey is closer? Oh well, <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, I think 
easily the Jets. They are like that person said on Twitter. I would agree with it. They're a, they're average quarterback play away from being five hundred. Yeah, just average quarterback play. Now Jones was good last week against Washington, but he's traditionally been good against Washington. Um, so I'm not going to read too much into that performance. And I think Garrett, for every all the meme and we do of him, has done about as good a job as you can with Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones is a one-read quarterback, and he's not reading stick right. Yeah. He's not reading basic stuff right. And if you can't get him to read that stuff right, and you're putting plays into his lap and he can't execute him, I don't know what else you can do. And I noticed this first against the – well, they almost beat the Buccaneers in, in week uh, eight. And no. they were moving that defensive line off the line of scrimmage. Yeah. And they're, and they're doing that. The Giants are working their run game with uh, Gallman and Alfred Morris in a really good, powerful, consistent way. And they're kind of mixing and matching because they've had some injuries in the offensive line. That Giants team, I think of any team in the NFC East, it's the one – that is a the most interesting to watch and b the one that should be taken somewhat seriously when it comes to hey they're not going to win the super bowl but if they're the you know the seventh team or they win the division at you know seven and nine and everyone laughs at them they might not be laughing uh they knock someone out in the wild card could happen it it certainly could happen i mean yeah this is a defense that's playing better this is a an offense that's a quarterback away. And if they just can get him to not make mistakes and be a game manager, and he actually talked about that. Um, he addressed the media yesterday, and he was asked about being a game manager, and he went into deep detail, Jones did, about you know not turning the football over. And we know that's what Joe Judge stresses. If he goes like the rest of the way with like one or two interceptions, they could be a dangerous team. Yeah. If they could just get, keep me from drinking coffee. That's about right. It. Yeah. Yeah. Buccaneers at Panthers. Oy. Add the Saints to the team showing zone and playing man. Uh, Redskins or excuse me, Washington is doing it. Colts are doing it. Uh, Jenna Lane of ESPN had a great article. Uh, Saints showed, I believe they showed two man and played cover two or the, or the inverse. Either way. Um, really affected the timing and the depth of the routes. I know you, you study Brady hard. You probably saw a couple plays where Brady was throwing like a, a bang eight and the receiver was curling back in and Brady was off by 15 yards. It was yeah. just bizarre. And this the offense is, and I, and I, when we get to the saints, I, I want to talk more about what Dennis Allen did because the, the Saints defensive coordinator, give that guy a race. That was, that was as good a defensive game plan as I've seen all year, but that offense is, and I asked you because he didn't Brady did not play well in the first half against the Giants. And, you know, do we burn the tape or do we look at it? I think now we have to look at it. Now we have to look at it. Um, you know, we saw early in the year there were instances where receiver and quarterback were not on the same page. We're seeing that again. And this is the benefit to spit in your safeties at the snap and roll, roll in your coverage at the snap because it, we like to think of it and we often frame it in the, oh, you're going to confuse the quarterback. But you can also confuse your receiver. You know, and you might not confuse Tom Brady and he might read it right, but you might confuse the receiver who then thinks, oh, I have to run this route and make this adjustment. 
and you make them wrong by confusing somebody else. Right. Just like, like Scotty Miller will say, I got to run a, you know, a, a, a comeback out against man coverage and it's actually zone and against zone, I'm running a seam route. So this is another benefit defensive coordinators of showing zone and playing man or vice versa. If you are playing a heavy option route team, you're going to screw them up hard because yeah. they have very specific route instances for any kind of coverage. And if you're a heavy quarters team and all of a sudden you're playing cover one, it's like, whoa, and you get those 15-yard air balls like you saw um, against the Saints. Yeah, and, 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 and you know, again, you, you're not, you don't have to confuse the quarterback, and you probably won't confuse Tom Brady. But you confuse, like you said, Scotty Miller. If it's a situation where he's supposed to run a post against middle of the field open, and then suddenly you spin into the snaps and middle field close, and he doesn't make the right adjustment, Brady's going to throw the post route. And you might get an interception. You might get, you know, a cheap one that way. And that's why more teams need to do this. And like you also mentioned, teams that are, you know, they're trailing motion this year, but then suddenly drop it into zone. So that quarterback thinks pre-snap or a receiver thinks pre-snap. Oh, they're in man coverage. And then they spin it to zone. They've already made the decision in their mind that's going to be man coverage. And you get the same kind of situation where guys aren't on the same page. So defenses need to be doing more of this. I'd say like, yeah, study that Saints game plan. Study what some other teams are doing. You'll find ways to confuse not just the quarterback. Maybe you'll get him, but more likely you might get one of the receivers. Panthers, heavy cover three team. Brady's ripped cover three up this season. Um, give me an example of like a good cover three beater. What, what, what might you see from the Buccaneers against a defense like that? I mean, there's a couple of things that you'll see. You'll probably see Haas, everybody's favorite Patriots play that they'll reference. Haas is a Haas-Juke. Haas-Juke, you run it mirrored where you've got hitch seam to both sides of the field. If that corner is playing deep, you can take that hitch. Otherwise, you've got those two inside seam routes, which against cover three, bracket that free safety in the middle of the field. So that's certainly one. You know, another thing you could do is you could go Yankee, you could go Mills, where you've got that dig post in the middle of the field, those two routes to high-low, that safety in the middle of the field. You get his eyes, read his eyes. If he dives down to the dig, throw the post over his head. That's why you sometimes see teams now run cut or nail or rail, or however you want to term it, different terminologies and different playbooks where – you know, if you see, this is more Yankee, though, when you see those deep crossers, the corner will pass one off and then stay deep, and they'll allow the free safety to drive down on it. So that's how teams are trying to match that. But, you know, Brady has just destroyed cover three his entire career. You think about to those old Patriots-Steelers games back when the Steelers were such a spot. Oh, God. I remember Rob Gronkowski running down the left sideline wide, like 20 yards open. Yeah. the play I always think of. Yeah, you can't just spot drop into cover three against Tom Brady. You can't just spot drop into cover three against Patrick Mahomes now. Um, the, the Panthers tried that. They got burned. And one of the plays that Mahomes hit on a touchdown was Yankee against cover three. The corner, you know, he trailed it. They, they blew the switch. You got Tyreek Hill running wide open on a deep crossing route, which should be defense one-on-one against the Chiefs, but I guess not. I remember when I did that three-part article last year on match coverage, and I asked both Matt Bowen and Lewis Riddick about spot drop cover three. And if you want to see people get really, really angry in a very big hurry, ask former NFL defensive backs who are now in the media about spot drop cover three in this era. You'll, you'll get some very interesting answers. and some. I had a lot of redactives in there. Yeah, my bad. Speaking of defense, and I'm, this is a personal appeal to Buccaneers defensive coordinator Todd Bowles, who I have a great deal of respect for. Todd, 
Coach Bowles, stop dropping seven and rushing four with static fronts. Please, for the love of God, go back to what you were doing with aggressive man coverage and a different front for every down. Weeks one through seven, Bucks allowed nine touchdowns with nine interceptions. Weeks eight through nine, five touchdowns, two interceptions, and a whole lot of happy opposing quarterbacks. This team has lost its identity on both sides of the ball. I think that's fair to say. Um, this would be a good week to blitz Teddy Bridgewater. Bridgewater. I'm sorry. Bridgewater. <sighs> Yikes. Who has thrown a league leading five interceptions and no touchdowns under pressure this season. It would be a good time to go back to what was working. Maybe on both sides of the ball for the Buccaneers. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right, Doug, about Tampa Bay. They've gotten away from what they've done in the past couple of weeks. Uh, I think you do need to pressure Bridgewater. He has struggled under pressure this year. You know, you highlighted some of the numbers. You know, you look at his adjusted completion percentage from pressure this year. It's not great. It's near the bottom of the league, a 50.0 adjusted completion percentage. When you're behind guys like Jimmy Garoppolo and Kirk Cousins and Gardner Minshew, and yes, Carson Wentz in a statistic, that's not a good place to be this year. Very, very much not. Broncos at Raiders. Mark, I think John Gruden listened to our podcast last week. He did, Doug. He did. He did. Coach. 60 foot. Okay, so Dave, so Derek Carr comes into this week nine with 20 deep attempts and has sneakily been one of the best deep throwing quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, last week, six attempts, two completions, 98 yards, and a touchdown. Um, I know I wrote about the Aguilar and Renfro throws, and, and you broke them down too. Just biscuit in the basket downfield. And we can point again to Carr's improved mechanics. Uh, but I just want to mention, it's not just, oh, we have a deep receiver now that we drafted, so it's this and that. This is the whole offense kind of coming together. It is the whole offense kind of coming together. And I think what's interesting, and I want to focus on Aguilar for a second, because when he was coming out of USC, everybody said, look, he's a West Coast receiver. Slants, outs, options, jukes, like that's what he's supposed to do. I think people got the evaluation wrong there. Because when you see him this year, he's been targeted on just five throws of 20 yards or more, five catches, four touchdowns. He's showing you vertical ability that I don't think people saw him coming out of college. You know, the the long touchdown, that was such a good route because he worked it to the inside first and then bent it back to the outside, really sold the corner on that he was going to be running sort of a a in-cut and then just did a great job at stacking him. And it was a great throw from Derek Carr. And we talked about this a little bit last week is when you have a rugs and now an Aguilar that's shown you stuff downfield, you've got to play cover too. You've got to keep both safeties deep. You might play some more quarters. And what does that open up? Josh Jacobs. Yep. So, I mean, they're in a really good spot right now, I think, um, offensively. Yeah, they've got to fix some things on the defensive side of the ball. You know, do I consider them a top-tier AFC team? No. But would I want to play them in the postseason? Also no. Well, their defense stinks on ice. Um, That's the problem. But <laughs> they get into, although don't talk to the Chargers about that. Yeah, if they get into a shootout situation, I don't know if I'd bet against them. Yeah, it could get unpleasant. Uh, so the only guy with more uh, – cover your ears, Eagles fans. Hmm. The only receiver this year with more deep touchdowns, 20 air yards or more defined as deep, than Nelson Aguilar on five targets and five catches – for four touchdowns. The only guy with more deep touchdowns this year is Tyree Kill. 
Tyreek Hill has 21 deep targets and eight deep receptions. Tyreek Hill leads the league in deep targets. Nelson Aguilar is down there with guys like, oh, I can't, I'd have to make the list. I actually have to make the pro football focus list bigger. Yeah. Uh, other guys with five deep targets, Braxton Berrios, Nicole Hardman, David Moore of the Seahawks. Uh, oh, wow. Cooper Cup. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and Denver is coming off a, a real beatdown from Atlanta's passing game, including secret superstar Olamide Zacharias. I hope I'm even coming close to that. Right. Uh, he was out with a foot injury. And this guy, he didn't. He had an adjustment route when Matt Ryan broke the pocket. He was running, you know, just a straight go. And he kind of cornered back to the, to the boundary. And I thought – that's a Doug Baldwin thing. That's a really smart thing for a receiver who wants to get more reps. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that Atlanta passing game looked good. Matt Ryan continues to look good. Um, you know, I, again, we talked about Matt Ryan last week. I still think he's playing at a high level. I, I love the deep shot touchdown he threw there. Such a great example of a quarterback climbing the pocket, which is such a hard thing to do as a quarterback sometimes. Um, so Denver's now just wiping the egg off its face from last week, and now they get you know this passing game. Yeah, yeah so that's going to be a. That, I think that's going to be a struggle. Yep. Uh, Chargers at Dolphins. Poor Chargers. This is the game of the week from where I sit. Let's talk to her. He. If you were worried about Tua adjusting to the National Football League after what he did in his first game, I don't think you're worried right now. No. He had some reads and some throws. You know, the seam route he threw on the left sideline, the video I did that I broke down was fantastic. But that third and nine throw, Doug, deep in your own end zone, start of the fourth quarter, down seven, you need a conversion. And to make that leveraged read and throw and an anticipation throw against Patrick Peterson – that's that's what you want to see from veterans, let alone a rookie quarterback making his second start. He showed you the athleticism that I think you need in today's NFL. I think it was everything you want to see from a, a quarterback if you're a Dolphins fan. But then you get Justin Herbert, who's playing extremely well as well. Um, this is a fun game to watch. You know, that, that Cardinals-Dolphins game is so much fun. I think this one is going to be just as much fun. Well, uh, Isaiah Johnson won't be on the field, so Herbert has that going for him. Here's something else Herbert has going for him. Uh, Dolphins, really heavy cover zero team. They do a lot out of cover zero. They'll drop their linebackers. They'll throw different things at you. But here's Justin Herbert against cover zero this year for Sports Info Solutions. 16 dropbacks, 10 completions in 14 attempts, 11 on target, for 161 yards, four touchdowns, and no interceptions. Is that good? That's pretty good. Uh <laughs> Well, he has 161 yards out of cover zero. Teddy Bridgewater's second was 74. Where's Jared Goff on that? Uh, uh, let's see. Did you have to open a new panel? Yeah, probably. <laughs> uh, two of six for eight yards, six air yards, no touchdowns, and one interception. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's going to be the difference. Stay for work, kids. Yeah, that's going to be the difference between what the Dolphins were able to do against the Rams and what they might – not be able to do against the Chargers is Herbert's pocket management skills have been better than we thought, and he's athletic enough where if you get zero blitz, he can move around in the pocket and make a defender miss if they get a free rush at him, and he's not going to turn into a pumpkin in the face of that like we saw from Jared Goff. Yeah. Um, I'll say it again. Herbert, it, it, I, I say it every week because I'm just so impressed by it. For a rookie quarterback 
who wasn't even expected to start at the beginning of the season, to tell opposing defenses every week, you cannot play man against me, you cannot pressure me, is just – it's yeah. it's kind of astonishing. Uh, don't, take, don't take it for granted because we don't see it a lot. Um, no, so speaking of the Cardinals, Bills at Cardinals. Buffalo's defense had been iffy most of the season. What They did some work against the Seahawks. Uh, different blitz packages, coverage looks. Brought some match blitzes with A.J. Klein, and that's it. late safety stuff from the edge. And, you know, I know Leslie Frazier is a defensive coordinator, and the defense is more static. This scene to me, Sean McDermott used to work for Jim Johnson, the, the late great Eagles defensive coordinator who was just one of the master scientists of the blitz. And then in coverage, you saw cover two, inverted two. You saw weird kind of match concepts. They also did a nice job managing blitz freight versus mush rush to counter Russell Wilson's need to get to the edge and win on broken plays. And now they can kind of superimpose that game plan against Kyler Murray, and that's going to be really interesting. Yeah, it is. Um, what I think really sort of stood out about that game from Buffalo was, you know, Bill's fans were sort of looking for that sort of statement game, and they got it. And they forced multiple mistakes from Russell Wilson. You know, they confused him a couple of times. Yep. You know, with a lot of you don't, which you don't see. Which you don't see. We've seen it, like, in two games this year. Um, the Arizona game being one and now this one. Um, Seattle has some questions, and we're going to talk about them. But huh. you know, this, is a, this is a fascinating game, too. I, I think if you're looking at this from an Arizona perspective, how do you deal with Josh Allen? Well, you know, here, here was something I found interesting that the Cardinals did not do against Tua is they kept their coverages pretty static. I mean, there was a little bit of safety movement, but most of the time, if they were doing pre-snap movement, it was to get their guys in place. Maybe yeah. the Dolphins were running no huddle, and, oh, gosh, we need to make it over here instead of over there. They didn't really try to fool him with different looks. And if there's one thing that's been Josh Allen's kryptonite this year, it's zone coverage, and Cardinals play some two, some quarters, some three. You know, they're, they're, not, they're kind of a balance. They'll play more zone than man this year. But if there's one thing Josh Allen has struggled against brutally, um, and, he, and he wasn't going to find it against Seattle because Seattle tends to fool itself defensively more than they fool opponents. But uh, I was surprised to see that Arizona didn't throw more advanced math against Tua. And maybe that's a reflect. They just signed um, oh the guy for who the Titans cut. Uh, shoot, drawn a blank. But – Titans cut a cornerback, and so maybe it's reflection. It's a reflection of how Arizona feels about its defense. Like we're not in a position where we can throw guys around and do advanced stuff. Right. Um, other defenses have that problem, but if Arizona kind of sticks and stays with their coverage looks, this could get ugly. It could, and I think to his credit, Josh Allen has shown over the past couple of weeks an ability to diagnose what you're doing pre-snap if you are static. You know, the New England Patriots threw a zero blitz situation at him, and he checked to a smoke screen on a third and lawn and went for a big play. Last week, Seattle showed the same thing, a zero blitz type of situation in the red zone. He checked to a smoke screen and it went for a touchdown. And so that, if you're a Bills fan, that's the stuff you want to see from your quarterback, Josh Allen, because that was a huge question mark on him coming out of the Wyoming into this year you know can he do that stuff pre-snap and now if you're coming in and you're Arizona and you feel like you can't try to confuse him you're going to just run what you're showing he might be able to figure that stuff out at least he's shown that ability the past couple of weeks 
Seahawks at Rams. Mark, you and I have watched a lot of football in our lives, haven't we? We have. When was the last time you saw a team get seven sacks and about 20 pressures and still give up 44 points? It's been a while. It's been a while. Well, that's what Seattle did against Buffalo. Um, I don't know what else to say about this defense. They're trying to blitz. They're trying to play man. Uh, Goff versus man coverage this season. It's the one thing he does well. 46 of 76 for 573 yards, five touchdowns, one interception. Uh, Shaquille Griffin may be back. Quentin Dunbar was running. Uh, well, he's got a knee injury. Uh, he's, he's a better cornerback than you think, Seattle fans. You just haven't seen it because he's been hurt and kind of adjusting to a new scheme. They're asking Jamal Adams to do I don't know what. Um, you know, the only man coverage Goff struggles against is cover zero, and that was the Miami game. That was the Miami so game. So this, you know, if, if Jared Goff is looking for the pause that refreshes, this is pretty much it. Yeah, I mean. They also, by the way, have the worst slot pass defense by far. So I know there's, I think there's been some questions about Cooper Cup's health. I think Cooper Cup should eat as many weeds as possible because he wants to be healthy for this one. Yeah, you want to be healthy for this one. I mean, this is a situation where, what, something's going to give, right? Like either Jared Goff has the kind of game that Rams fans are hoping for or Seattle's defense sort of somehow steps up. And I would bet on the former more than I would bet on the last. I would bet on Jared Goff over Seattle's defense, and I can't believe those words just came out of my mouth. That That's how far the mighty have fallen, kids. Here, here's a question, Doug. Can the Seahawks win a playoff game with this defense? No. Yeah. Absolutely not. There's absolutely no way you can. Well, I – you go back to the 2018 Chiefs. They got within an overtime drive of the Super Bowl, and their defense was horrid. Yeah. They had a guy throwing 50 touchdowns and winning MVP. And Seattle may have that same guy this year. So to say, can they? Anything's possible. Should they? No. I mean, and here's the thing Dunlap came in, he was great. Jaron Reed, great. That front is great. I, I would, in the same way I look at the Cowboys' coverage concepts, and this was certainly true against the Steelers, where Ben's only deep shots were just pitch and catch because guys were in the wrong place or they were falling down or whatever. But when I look at Seattle's secondary right now, that's coaching. Yeah. This is not personnel. You've got Shaquille Griffin. You've got Jamal Adams. You got two first-round picks for Jamal Adams, and you're asking him to do what? They're asking him to do more than any other safety in the league. And he's not doing any of it particularly well, except yeah. blitz. You can get a safety in the – you could – I mean, you could have gotten Ashton Davis and saved your first-round picks. Yeah. Uh, this, is, this is a problem. This is – I would say that Seattle's decision to make Tom Cable its offensive line coach cost Seattle maybe one or two Super Bowls. I think the way this defense is playing now could cost them like one or two more. Yeah. And when we look at the history of Pete Carroll, we may be looking more at lost opportunities than anything else. Yeah, and it's interesting. It's sort of a, the flip side of what's going on in New England right now. With Seattle's defense, the defense is so bad that it's making it imperative that Russell Wilson play perfect football. And if he doesn't, if he makes a mistake or four, you're going to lose. Yep. And when you're asking one side of the ball to play perfect, you're going to come up short more times than you think. Bears fans are like, hey, man, this is our defense since like 1958. So. Yeah, this has been our. <laughs> <laughs> All 
yeah. Uh, Jalen Ramsey versus DK Metcalf. That'll be fun, though. That'll be fun. 49ers at Saints. Good luck, Nick Mullins. Uh, this, boy, this Saints defensive game plan, that the, the man zone switches, um, really diabolical on every level. I don't know how Nick Mullins deals with this. I don't know how you – you're Kyle Shanahan. You're a genius, but uh, I don't know what else to say about this except ouch. Yeah, yeah, this has the potential to get out of hand quickly. Bengals at Steelers. This is an interesting stat. For a high-volume rookie quarterback, Joe Burrow has never thrown more than one interception in a game. Uh, that probably has a lot to do with the quick passing game, especially at an empty. Yeah. Uh, and it'll be interesting to see how the Steelers play this because their secondary is playing better of late. I think it was a problem earlier in the season. They're kind of coming together. Uh, this is also Burrow's first time facing the Steelers, but if you go back to week five against the Ravens, he struggled against a good – and Steelers are more cover one. You know, they don't, they don't throw a lot of different coverage looks at you. It's, it's you know, single hat, cover one, cover three, here we go. We're just going to pressure the crap out of you right in your face. But, uh, you know, Burrow against higher blitzing teams – where they get to him out of those three-step drops and out of empty, and, you know, uh, here comes <laughs> T.J. Watt on Bobby Hart calling ambulance. Uh, that could be interesting. That could be interesting. It could be interesting. I think this is going to be a good sort of measuring stick game for Joe Burrow. Yes. I think has played extremely well, but he did struggle against Baltimore. You know, I do think that he'll be under pressure a lot in this game. He's been under pressure a lot this season. You know, I think if they can limit the hits – really get the ball out of his hands quickly. They might be able to make some plays against that Pittsburgh defense. Um, but I do think that, you know, when this year is done and we sit back and sort of take stock of how Burrow's rookie season went, this is going to be one of the first games people will want to study to see how he handles what he's going to see this week against from, from this Pittsburgh front. Uh, big Ben on the COVID list, knee injury versus the Cowboys, he did return. Um, I mentioned this last week. I'll mention it again. He had some good deep throws, but it was – Cowboys cornerbacks falling down or running the wrong assignment. I maintain the deep ball against better defenses. Cincinnati's kind of in the middle, and their run defense stinks, so maybe a big game for the running backs. But that big bad arm thing, uh, I'm not buying in just yet. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it might be time to start wondering about the arm. Remember, that's what we said last week, right? We said, look, if the arm looks a little bit off in the cozy environs of Jerry World. We might have to start thinking about what's up with his arm. We might have to start thinking about what's up with his arm. Yeah. Ravens at Patriots. Uh, this is <laughs> this is opposite day for a lot of reasons. Uh, Patriots are 31st in defensive DVOA. 30th against the pass, 31st against the run. Only the Jaguars are worse. Last year, first overall, first against the pass by an absolutely – I think Baltimore was second. Winning those first against the pass by a crushing margin. Like – they were, they were the Mike Haynes, Lester Hayes Raiders in the early 80s last year. And I know Gilmore's been out, but even when Gilmore was in, Gilmore's not playing particularly well this year. They lost a lot of talent in the offseason. They lost some guys to COVID. I think Football Outsiders had a thing where they lost the most defensive talent and free agency of any team in the last X number of years, 10, 15, 20. Um, so that's part of it. But, wow, that, that this is uh, – because I thought – Really, I thought McDaniel schemed things nicely for Cam against the Jets. Uh, Greg Williams helped by throwing Ashton Davis into Section 320 on that uh, the in-cut to Jacoby Myers, which set up the winning field goal. And you can always expect Greg to do that at the worst possible time, or the yeah. best possible time for his opponent. 
But 27 to 35 for 274 yards, no touchdowns, no picks, 10 rushes for 16 yards and two TDs. It's a start. My thought watching that game was this is a start. This is for, for Cam and that offense, get the underneath stuff, high percentage passes, get them in a rhythm. So what I thought they should have been doing a while ago. Yeah, I, I think it's a start. I think over the past couple of weeks, Cam is, I think, 45 of 62 for 448, no touchdowns, no picks, 16 carries, 70 yards, and three touchdowns. You know, if you would have told me after that 49ers game that we would get that from Cam Newton over the next two weeks, I would have been overjoyed as a Patriots fan that, yeah, they're starting to figure out what to do offensively. Defensively is the bigger problem. Matt Chatham, who played for the Patriots, who covers the Patriots now, he basically said in the middle of that Jets game, guys, the defense is the bigger problem right now. And if you want to sum up where they're at defensively, when they played the 49ers a couple of weeks ago, they had 52 plays with four defensive linemen, 16 plays with three defensive linemen. That's obviously a heavy 21 personnel team. Last week against the Jets, 34 snaps and a 5-1-5. They're trying to figure out what they have right now. And part of that might have been due, you know, against the Jets, Juwan. Bentley was out. They're trying to figure out what they've got offensively, what personnel packages they can throw at teams. The problem that's going to come Sunday night, last year against the Ravens, they went 3-4 and 3-5. That's what they tried. They had a lot of five linebacker packages. Five of those linebackers, well, only one of them is back for this game, Juwan Bentley, and he's hurt. The others, Dante Hightower, who opted out. Kyle Van Noy, who's in Miami. Jamie Collins, who's in Detroit. And Alandon Roberts, who's in Miami. They lost. Collins is in Detroit, still signaling to the sideline, hey, we need the 11th guy out here. Yeah, exactly. They lost a ton of talent at the second level, and that is a nightmare scenario for this game. Now, can New England win? Yeah, sure. Do I expect them to? No. And it's very unusual. I remember the, the two-part Belichick football life. That se- I don't remember which season it was, but it was a season where Belichick said near the end of the season, he was talking to Brady, he said, we didn't, I knew it, we did not have the guys this year. Yeah, that was probably that Saints game, and I think 2011 or so. 2011, and that was the last t- – this is the 31st in defensive DVOA is the worst of any Belichick team in New England. The second worst, 30th, 2011. Yeah. To see a Belichick coach team wagging the dog on defense is just weird. And what's the opposite day? That's what I mean. There are mental mistakes. If you think about that San Francisco game, they ran a two man switch verticals concept with a curl and a go. And both the corner and the underneath curl flat defender covered the curl and left the go wide open. Yep. And that's the kind of mistake that I don't remember seeing a Patriots defense make. That's where they're at right now. And the problem is, with their offense slowly figuring out, it's like what we were just talking about with Seattle, they need their defense to play perfect if they're going to stay in games. And the defense has been anything but. I want to say this about Lamar real quick, because uh, we talked about Lamar ad nauseum. Um, I mean, maybe he benefits from this particular defense. Uh, he said on the Rich Eisen show this week that opposing defense is starting to call out what the Ravens are about to run on offense. Guys, this is a lot more common than people think. It happens yeah. all the freaking time. Yeah. Defensive coordinators and defensive players watch tape, and they put <laughs> tendencies and trends, and they kind of know what's coming. Oh, they're running, you know, uh, tw- double twins, you know, stacked to either side. They're probably going to run X, Y, Z. Uh, it's not a big deal. What is a big deal is a quarterback who's struggling saying it out in the air. Yeah. Not a good look. 
And I'm the, I am the biggest Lamar defender in the world. I have been ever since Bill Polian said all the crap he said. He was my number one player in that draft class, and it wasn't particularly close. Uh, I agreed completely with the unanimous MVP thing, but that's not a good look. No, it, it's not a good look. And yes, teams, defensive coordinators, advanced scouts, they watch tape, they know what's coming. Um, you know, Lamar's not, you know, breaking any sort of, you know, new ground here. But I think the issue is the lack of consistency from Baltimore and the lack of consistency from Lamar. I think what's interesting, when they went to Temple against the Colts on Sunday, they started to click a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I would expect Greg Roman to come out and use Temple immediately in this game because when he was banged up, they're thin up front. They, For those who don't know and might be listening, what do you mean by Temple? They either no huddle or muddle huddle where, you know, they're not huddling up, they're not taking their time, they're staying near the line of scrimmage. Maybe it's a pure no huddle, or maybe it's that sort of muddle huddle where it's a couple of yards behind the ball, sort of like you think about the 1980s Cincinnati Bengals with Sam Weish and Boomer Esaias and that team that made the Super Bowl, where you're really sort of using that speed in terms of how quickly you're getting to the line of scrimmage to limit what the defense can do from a substitution standpoint. But it also it got Lamar into a rhythm. I think he was like 8 of 10 in the second half when they yep. went through that. I'd expect him to do some of that this week. Yeah, that uh, 89 Bengals, uh, or was it 88 or 89? They, they lost the second Super Bowl to the Niners. Marv Levy complained to the NFL yep. when, the, when the Bills played the Bengals. And the next year, Marv Levy and Jim Kelly and their staff came up with the K-Gun. So <laughs> That's how it works. That's how it works. Vikings at Bears. Kirk Cousins had the 1973 Bob Greasy stat line against the Lions, 13 of 20 for 220 yards and three touchdowns. You will not do that against the Bears. Uh, on the other hand, you think, oh, well, you know, Bears got this going away. Uh, remember what I said about Brett Favre and Nick Foles and Carson Wentz? No, this is why. Yeah. Um, this could be ugly. We, we could be uh, re-watching the Queen's Gambit by halftime. Yeah, I mean, the, the questions for the Bears keep coming back to the quarterback position. Because um, they got know. everything else. David Montgomery, by the way, is playing, he's been playing pretty well. I mean, he probably hasn't recovered what Jeffrey Simmons did to him on that screen. But other than that, he's, he's doing well. Yeah. I mean, the big issue here in this game is which quarterback has the least bad night? I think it's probably Cousins. I think Cousins is – I think Cousins overall is like a C plus, and I think Foles is like a D minus. Yeah, and it, you know you're 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 grading on a, a relative curve for Foles because the Vikings defense is still struggling in coverage. They're trying to figure a lot of stuff out, and they've yeah. got some injured guys in the secondary. Um, free Anthony Harris, by the way. Yeah, you know with with Cousins, he's just he's going to see a lot of things. And I'll go back to Kyle Fuller and Jalen Johnson. That is, as the Bears go through the second half of their season, that is a cornerback duo to watch because that's a, that's a defense from front to middle to back playing in concert right now. Yep. Um, Kirk Cousins does not want that smoke. No, nope. no, he doesn't. Um, but, yeah, I, I think – and this is a fascinating game to think about from a, a stand-in standpoint because you might have teams moving in completely two different directions right now when this is set and done. Like – we all sort of wrote the Vikings off a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. We might be looking at a four and five Vikings team against a Bears team that's sort of cratering. Bears have lost three in a row. 
Yeah. They lose four in a row. If I'm Matt Nagy, I'm leasing. I'm not buying. Yeah, I'm, she That's should where be. that goes. Anyway, him and, him and Ryan Pace. Yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> the, the the guy who drafted moved up. Traded up to get Mitchell. Up. Yeah. Uh, and on that note of massive failure, <laughs> Dr. Schofield, yikes. Uh, any more thoughts? I mean, I think this is this is the potential for a very big week for a couple of different teams. I'm very excited to see that Buffalo-Arizona game. Excited to see Tua versus Justin Herbert. Excited to see Burrow against Pittsburgh. This could be a very fun week. Yep. Defining for young quarterbacks, to be sure. Yep. Well, as always, great stuff, man. Uh, keep it to the touchdown wire, and we'll talk next week.